Thank you for joining Analytics Today, a podcast series that focuses on big data and analytics and the latest trends in the digital world. I'm your co-host, Jeremy Roberts, and with me always is my co-host, Samir Khan. What is up, Samir? Hey, Jeremy. How are you doing? Good. Happy COVID days. <laughs> I know. Still continues. So I was yeah. hoping the last time we spoke to this time it will end, but apparently not. <laughs> no, that's, um, yeah. That's a whole other podcast and conversation. So we'll uh, we'll steer, stay clear away from that topic. <laughs> I agree with you. Cool. So this is actually a part two podcast, one that we we just previously recorded. It was on. I think we're calling it like the Triple D. You know, not to take the name from Guy Fieri, the Triple D, which is a great TV show, which I've watched probably every episode of Diners, Drive-ins, and Dives, but um. This is <laughs> this is like a deep dive discovery part two, where last time we talked about like the why, the what, the how, and the when, and when you're doing a discovery, right? It was something to where if you're a consultant, I think, or if you're a marketer and you want to go in and you want to understand the company, you do this deep dive, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And especially if you're doing the deep dive discovery session for digital Right. I think uh, that's what we uh, we kind of alluded to in the last time is how do you do that? How do you do the digital discovery session? Mm-hmm. What are the things that you pay attention to? How do you work with the uh, you know, what are the questions that you ask in the beginning? Exactly. Uh, and, and, and yeah, and then gave you the clues on that. Uh, and today and you want to go ahead, Jeremy, today, yeah. what are we going to talk about then? Yeah. So I guess a quick revamp just in case somebody's listening to this one, not the other one. The first part is like the why. It's like, okay, why are you doing a deep discovery? You know, um, what is the point behind it? Well, the why is you want to learn about what the company does. The last thing you ever want to do as a marketer, as a consultant, or even as a supportive um, business person is to go in and make a whole bunch of assumptions or use a standardized checklist to be able to understand what's going on with the company, right? Always figure out the why or the Simon Sinek start with why. The second one is what, right? Like what? You know, um, what is the format of discovery, right? Uh, is it going to be on a whiteboard? Is it going to be on a spreadsheet? Are going to be in person? Well, right now with the COVID, you can't really be in person, right? It's like you're asking questions like, so what are you doing today? What's working? Um, what would what would an ideal situation look like? If you could snap your fingers and make everything work, what would that look like? What are the KPIs that you're tracking? Right. What are the KPIs telling you? Does it tell you a story? Is it even the right KPIs? And then the who, it's like who should be in the room? And I remember you mentioning something about how you should have different people from different parts of the company, hopefully from product operations, finance, marketing, and sales. Um, and then, you know, how should each contribute to the conversation? And then when, how long should these be? Right. How often should you do it? We talked about every quarter. Today, we're going to go into the various elements in the discovery. There's quite a few things, so we'll go down the list, and let's just jump right into it and get started. So one of the first things we talked about with the various elements in the discovery is acquisition, right? And what we always like to do on the Analytics Today podcast is we like to give definitions of words to make sure that we're all saying the same thing, because we all could be... I could say the word acquisition and Samir could say the word acquisition and we all think it means something different. So for us, when we talk about acquisition, we're talking about acquiring new customers. This is a top of the funnel strategy, 
right? This is demand gen and lead gen strategies and stuff. And this is really just an overall of the channels used. So I guess with that, Samir, what, what are some of the questions you think would be um, important to ask when you're going in and asking a company about acquisition? Because for me, it would be like, okay, what, what channels are you using today, right? How, how, are you, how are you bringing people into the top of the funnel, right? I mean, what are some of the things you think are important to ask when it comes to acquisition? Yeah, I think those are the, all the right questions, Jeremy. Uh, I would add to that is uh, what, how do you measure the performance of your uh, awareness stage, right? So mm -hmm. essentially, when you start looking at it, uh, obviously the channels that are bringing in leads, uh, the volume of the leads, the traffic volume yep. is also another thing that we want to keep it from a KPI perspective, trying to understand that, and uh, also be able to see if it's growing or not growing, right? If it's growing, declining, or being flat. So the trend view is extremely important. Sometimes uh, when we do the discovery sessions, people talk about, oh, they're generating thousands of leads and so on and so forth. But then mm -hmm. when we look at the trend, the trend reveals the true story. So it's important to look at the trend and see if there has been any significant change in the lead volume. Now, there could be cases where the lead volume may have decreased because the company yep. deliberately started focusing their attention on a specific target market versus casting a wider funnel. Yep. Uh, and that could impact on the lead volume as well. But in general, it's a, it's very good practice to look at the trend. Well, here's another thing to add to the trend. And this is um, in a lot of times, you know, and I do this when I'm mentoring, uh, you know, younger marketers or more junior marketers is that you say, wow, there's been a huge trend. Um, you know, and, and this could be something big. We haven't seen this in a while. And the first question I ask is, okay, have you seen that trend based on any seasonality, right? Has, is that trend consistent with last year around this time, two years ago, three years ago? You know, what are your standard KPIs and your trends over the year? Do you have ebbs and flows based on, you know, seasonality and stuff? Like your trends are only as good as the data that you look at because as you know, if you're myopic, right, Samir, and you're only looking at data within a certain time frame, that trend can look extremely different than if you zoom out, right, and you look at the trend over a period of years instead of a period of months or weeks, right? I agree. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Yeah. So I think it's important as a marketer, when you're talking about trends, if you ever bring up the word trend, the first thing that I always want to know if I'm listening to you talk is give me a perspective, right? Tell me that you please at least looked at the trend over multiple different viewpoints, like from the trend of the last few weeks or the last few months or the last few years. Talk to me a bit about seasonality because if that acquisition doesn't work, right, it doesn't work. Um, the other thing that I would even say about acquisition is make a list of all the different channels that are used, right? Exhaust that question with your clients and say, tell me a list of every single channel that you use. Like in a channel could be offline. It could be online. Okay. What are all the different channels you're using to get people display search, email, social display, you know, webinars, you know, you name it make an exhausted list because that way you, you cover all those different things. So cool. Any more questions on, do you have anything to add on acquisition? Or we go to the next one. 
No, no, I think you covered pretty well. All cool. those points are really relevant. Cool. Okay, so after acquisition, the second one is personalization. This is a funny one. Personalization is always funny because every time I'm talking to somebody, and I'm sure you get the same thing, and I mention the word personalization, I usually pause and I ask the other person, what is your definition <laughs> of personalization? Right? Because everybody has a different defini definition. And I remember talking to a client once, and I thought that personalization, they, they jokingly said, well, personalization is the first name on an email. Yeah, we do personalization. Another person thought the basic level of personalization is like what you get on Amazon.com, which is intense, right? So I, I guess with, with you, Samir, I guess how would you define, I guess, personalization from this standpoint? What would be something you'd want to look for from the client when you're talking to them about personalization? For personalization, I think it's also a little bit controversial uh, uh -huh. because it uh, starts getting into the uh, limits of the privacy. Uh, so while being uh, cognizant yeah. of the fact there are, right, because it, it, it is important to note that. But at the same time, the key aspect of personalization is to be able to speak the language of your end consumer or customer. Uh, that's the most critical and fundamental reason why we need to personalize it. Typically, on an average day, you get hundreds of emails and everyone is trying to sell you something. The only way uh, you pay attention to a message is if the message is personalized to you. So, for example, if I send you, Jeremy, a message, mm -hmm. you will open that email versus a salesperson that sends you because you know me, you have that connection and, you know, we're good friends and yeah. uh, you trust me that okay, I'm going to send something useful and not waste your time. So that level of connectivity is important when you're doing marketing. And yes. the when you look at the audit, when you're doing this uh, due diligence audit, what you need to pay attention to is what channels are you using for sending your messages and what level of personalization do you have in those messages? Is it just the first name that you're including or you're mm -hmm. just getting to know the person more, more along the lines of where you, they feel that you know them and you have built a rapport with them. Yeah, so I would say like, you know, make a bullet point list. Like every time when your client talks about those different things, if they're talking about personalizing the email, ask them, right? <coughs> Excuse me. It could be one of those things where it's like, are you just personalizing the first name like Bob? Hey, Bob, or something like that. Or is it, do you have dynamic content on there that's personalizing your content on that email? You run an A-B test on that email content, you know, for personalization. Um, the other thing about personalization could be website visits. It's like, do you have dynamic content on those websites? Do you have a set piece of content from images and text and calls to action for an, a first visit? And then when you have a repeat visit, even if somebody's not logged in, does that personalization change on the website, right? And then like engagement with the customer, if somebody is logged in, does that you know, based on their prior purchase experience or history, does it then change to something else? Right. So all these different things you need to ask, I guess the rule of thumb here is don't make any assumptions, right? Don't ever assume that you, your understanding and level of personalization is exactly the same as the person you're talking to. It is one of those weird words <laughs> where if you don't understand what they're seeing and you, what you're saying, you're going to have a really bad time because at the end of the day, you're going to be like, oh, well, I just, 
I look like an ass now because I made a whole bunch of assumptions, right? So, <laughs> um, oh, cool. Yeah, no, that's any... a great point. I, 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 that's a fantastic point, actually. Cool. So a- anything else to add on that? So we got acquisition and personalization, right? You good? Um, uh, nothing to add there. No, I think uh, you covered pretty much that part of it. Okay, cool. So let's go to the third one. So we got acquisition, personalization. The third thing you want to discover and do a deep dive in is segmentation. Now, segmentation is a big one, right? Here, we're talking about who are your targeted buyer personas. And so I have a little pet peeve when it comes to buyer personas. Most of the people are like, oh, tell me your buyer personas, right? I'm sure you've heard this, Samir. The first thing they do is give you, you know, age, uh, you know, college education um, or like how much salary they have or like their, their you know, their average income, you know, um, things like that. Then they get into some interesting stuff like region. What part of town do they live in or what city do they live in and, and so on? For me, you know, it doesn't really matter those things sometimes when you're talking about segmentation because or a buyer persona. Because, for instance, the example I always give, like an iPhone, like if the new iPhone is $1,300, it doesn't matter whether you have a college education or not, or the fact that you make $100,000 a year versus $35,000 a year, that person's still going to find a way to buy the new $1,300 iPhone, right? So those elements of the buyer persona don't matter. So I would talk about, it's like, what's important to them? What resonates with that person, you know? And then it's like the segmentation. I think this is something you've done in your past. It's like, how do you manage your segments? Like, uh, where do the where does the segmentation live? So I guess maybe if you could give a quick overview, and I'll give my perspective too, is like, how do you do segmentation strategy within your business? Like, where does where do these segments live? Do they live in Excel? Do they live in PowerPoint? Do they live in the tools or what? Yeah, that's a great question. So segmentation is a whole other topic for a full podcast, but (laughs) we definitely would like to touch it because it's so important, right? Uh, The segmentation, the first approach is when you start understanding the segments is not just focusing on the geo level, like most of the time people focus the segments at the geo level and they forget the, the underlying it. You need to go do hyper segmentation. So even within the geos, start to get within the industry and then within the industry, a specific niche market. Uh, and then within the niche market, you have a specific buyer persona that you're trying to address. So here's an example. Let's say if you're targeting, uh, you're targeting sales manager uh, in a tech startup, right? So that's like a really specific targeting that you have. And you can say, okay, I can further drill down now by maybe adding a geo level uh, color to it. So I could say I'm only targeting sales manager who live in Austin, Texas, who work in a technology startup company that has less than 50 employees, right? So then you get very, very specific. And you said, those are the people that I'm going to invite to my event that I'm having in Austin because they are my relevant buyers of, of the, of the product or services that I'm offering. So that yeah. makes it really powerful. And it immediately gives you better leverage for going back to the personalization. And now you can personalize to the problem that the salespeople who are living in Austin and they're working in tech startup are experiencing, right? And that could be, okay, I am having challenges uh, providing my team a really good sales process for targeting uh, their customers, 
uh, or selling our software, right? Or, or maybe there could be like, I'm having challenge going from my current place to or maybe Arboretum and the traffic is crazy. Uh, <laughs> just, yeah. You know, getting to very specific things really matters because then you're speaking their language and they start paying attention to it. Yeah, and, and even to add to that, it's like, you know, where should the segmentation live? It should live within the tool, but don't, you know, you should, when we, I mean, obviously we, this is a whole other, I mean, I feel like this is a podcast topic that could go into like 50 more podcast topics. Um, like every, everything that we're talking about here could have an entire podcast dedicated to it. But we're talking about a MarTech stack. You need to build out a MarTech stack that is a connected, integrated environment to where figure out a way, something like a, even using some type of DMP to where you know, your segmentations are then being utilized across various tools. So you're not having to build it out, right? And, and that's the beauty of a DMP. And a lot of people realize like, if you're using a basic analytics tool, you're building out segments within that analytics tool, right? If you're using a testing tool, it is also building out segmentation, but it only sees um, various uh, elements of that segment based on what the testing tool looks at, right? If you're using a CMS tool, it also has segments. So try to find an opportunity to get a DMP to pull all those together into a single source to where you then can pass that segmentation of those buyer personas across all your different tools and be able to utilize it in the same place because that's key. Right. If you're going to go through all the effort, you might as well utilize them to their fullest potential. So, yeah, and, and I think the key here is uh, to what you're talking about, right? Uh, it's progressive segmentation. That's yeah. what we're trying to do. You build your initial segment with the knowledge and information that you have, your existing customers, look at your top performing customers and see who you think are uh, going to be your target customer base that you would like to offer product and services in future. And then on top of that, as you were saying, Jeremy, is use technologies, use a DMP, uh, use a, a profile building technology, start either collecting more information about the person from your own effort, or maybe a marketing automation platform, yep. or using a, a third party services that can offer you that additional tertiary data to yep. augment your primary and secondary data about that 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 segment and then the other opportunity is then to go and look at uh identify the hero customers based on certain types of um high valued segmentation possibly looking at customer lifetime value and then being able to build out lookalike models right to be able to say hey i need to build out lookalike model segments based on really high performing segments because of their customer lifetime value or so on right so it's a rabbit hole of fun <laughs> <laughs> so, right. Um, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think those are yeah. all valid, valid points. Yeah, cool. So, okay, so we have acquisition, personalization, segmentation. The next one is conversion, right? So we talk about conversion. Conversion can be different aspects of conversion. It's not just converting the lead to an op, right? Because uh, how's it go? It's like lead op. Um, to an MQL, marketing qualified lead, right? To an SQL, which is sales qualified lead, to either a close one or close loss lead. But then, you know, is it, what aspect of conversion is this? And I think when, you, when you're talking to somebody and you're talking to your clients and saying, tell me about your conversion strategy. It's not just 
looking at the KPIs and the data of who converts when, so you can build out a funnel with funnel metrics and, and that. It's like, what is the messaging that's relevant? What is the call to action? And what is the activity? Is sales converting people to the next stage? Is it content that's converting people? Is it marketing that's converting people? What is doing to get people to convert and move down the funnel? And I think that's what it is. Don't, don't confuse conversion with, yeah, they just bought something. No, conversion is moving to the next level of the funnel. You know, but. Yeah, that's, that's important because uh, I always talk about micro and macro conversion, right? Yep. So the macro conversions are, uh, as Jeremy, you were saying, the bigger conversion which drives the revenue at the end of the day. When you look at the sales close rate, that's a macro conversion. When you look at the shopping cart conversion on, on the e-commerce side, that's a macro conversion. But then you start looking at these micro initiatives which are driving people to the shopping cart. That's an initiative. Uh, getting people to uh, have a phone call with the sales team. That's an initiative. Or filling out a form. That's another initiative. So those conversions are extremely important as well. Uh, most people generally like to focus on the bottom line revenue, which is important. Uh, but it is also equally important for you to start paying attention to your micro conversion that eventually builds the macro. Exactly. I mean, yeah, it's. I mean, like I said, whole. <laughs> I'm going to say this like the whole time. It's a whole other podcast we can get into. So like I said, look at the data, look at the conversion. This is a very KPI heavy um, element, right? The conversion part, but it's also, it, it. this is one that you cannot overlook the qualitative side of it, right? There's the quantitative, which is the KPI side. The qualitative side is what happened? What were the activities that happened? Was there um, uh, was there something that you did or something that happened to the customer or was there some type of macro environmental influence or economic influence that caused that person to convert from this to that, right? What? So get as right. much detail as possible, right? So we have acquisition, personalization, segmentation, conversion. Next one is retention. So retention, right? This is retaining customers. This is somebody's already bought from you. They like you. Well, hopefully they like you, right? <laughs> they, or they like your product. They bought from you. They bought your product or service. Now you want to keep them engaged. You want to keep them as a customer and gain, get their interest to, you know, to come back and buy from you again. So I guess, what are some of the things you think you would ask? You'd be like, you know, besides, hey, what are you doing today to retain your customers? I, you know, for me, like, I guess we could maybe then Samir talk about B2C versus B2B examples, right? Because those are two completely different ways to do retention. Right. Yeah. And I think uh, when we get onto the retention, there is a significant level of activity. So you start asking them when you're doing the due diligence, you start asking them, can you list your top five retention activities that you do? Yeah. Uh, so then your client could say, okay, the, we send them a regular email letting them about the product roadmap or we like to have our existing customer participate in a customer advisory forum, right? Where, where they're like the top customer and top voices. Or we have an ambassador program for customers who have been with us a long term and we do this uh, ambassador event every three months. Get yeah, or, to find yeah. out what are the top activities that they're performing to retain the customers and 
identify the gaps within that. So it could be like, okay, we have a customer advisory board, but apparently we only meet once a year and then we yep. just neglect them. You'll uncover that type of issues. That's B2B, right? And then B2C, it's uh, purchase frequency, like how frequently your customers are buying with you through the shopping cart, a digital Upsell, uh, setup you have. Cross-sell, right? next product modeling, all that stuff, right? Right, exactly. The wallet share, uh, yeah, I mean, there are just so many things you can do there. So a lot of it has to do with, think, think about like, there's an art and science to this triple D thing, right? When you're doing these deep dive discoveries, there's an art and a science to it, to where, yeah, you can, you can be a good consultant and you can go in and you can, um, you know, just go through a checklist of stuff. But the skill set to being able to do this really well is to read the room, right? And if you're there in person, like you got to read the faces and the body language of the people in the room. If they're sitting back, you know, with, you know, just chilling, checking out their phone or typing on their computers or doing this, you think they're taking notes. They're not right. They're checking their email. You got to engage everybody in the room to be able to get them to be excited. And the thing is, you got to get them to feel comfortable to be able to open up and tell you about these things. Because so far we've talked about acquisition, personalization, segmentation, conversion, and retention. All these things are the key fundamentals to driving your business as a marketer or even as a data analyst. Like You need to understand everything that's going on. Um, so I, I guess any questions on that before we get to the next part? I guess you're good? Uh, I'm good. Cool. Okay. So we got acquisition, personalization, segmentation, conversion, retention. Now we're going to get into three other different things, content, assets, and data. So content, it's like, what is your content strategy? I guess the thing is like, what content are you creating? Like make an entire list. Usually they're gonna say, we're gonna do blog posts, display ads, uh, we're gonna create emails, we're gonna write web content. Um, it could be white papers, it could be webinars, it could be crap eBooks, it could be anything. Make that laundry list of every piece of content and ask them, what is your, you know, like, ask these open-ended questions. Like, what is your content strategy, right? How is it syndicated? Where do you use it? Who is creating new content with your company? Are you, you know, are, are you procuring content? Is it, you know, is it earned content, right? Or how often is it created? What is the time that it takes to create that content? What's your lead time? You know, what's the shelf life of your content? It, it, it's, I mean, like I said, every single one of these, there's a whole podcast we can do on this. You, you just got to keep digging and digging until you realize what's working and what's not working. I mean, I, I guess for me, Samir, I guess, what, what are some of the, I guess, really good fundamental best practices that you've seen um, some people use with regards to uh, discovering their content strategy or like some really bad practices that you've heard when people are, are doing their content that you think is, you know, important to kind of discover. Yeah, no, I think the content piece, again, it's very important because it, it is important to conduct a content planning session. And the content planning session essentially looks at uh, kind of the top-down approach. You started with your traffic sources. You started with the buyer persona, segmentation, personalization. 
and now within you're starting to work your content planning within that buyer persona. A lot of people they just do it reverse. They just for the <laughs> sake of having content, they put content right, and then come to find out that uh, they're just publishing a lot of good content, but it's not resonating well when it comes to their performance improvement because that content is tailored towards a completely different buyer persona. Yeah. And I, I remember in an organization where there was a big need to just do link building. So for the sake of link building, uh, they created a whole bunch of content that attracted a lot of a lot of traffic and possibly even links, but may not necessarily target their buyer persona. So at the end of the day, the campaign may be useful for SEO, but even for SEO, uh, not sure what types of you know, future customers it will bring. Uh, from the from the practice, so it's important to tie it all together, mm -hmm. and the content planning should come only if you have defined your persona segments and topics. That's a really good point. Yeah, personas, segments, and topics. Yeah, okay. So without that, because then you're basically creating content blindly, or you're, you're what is that hilarious strategy to where it's like you're creating content and throwing it up to see what sticks and you're hopefully somebody's going to engage and that's your strategy, right? Pull, pull ideas out of thin air and then hopefully something, somebody gets excited about it and then they respond to it. Right. right? <laughs> that's your new strategy. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So we got acquisition, personalization, segmentation, conversion, retention, and then the next three parts, right? Content. And the next one is assets, right? So we have content and then we have assets. Assets is like, where are you storing all of your content and assets, right? How are you orchestrating your assets in your campaigns? This is a big deal. So a lot of people don't have um, a, a content um, asset management tools. Like there's, you know, like I know for Adobe, there's Adobe, uh, Adobe Experience Manager assets. I know there's um, Dropbox. You know, I know there's Google Docs. Um, you know, I know there's, uh, you know, the OneDrive from Microsoft, there's a lot of different things. So it's really asking where does all your content or your, sorry, your assets live. And the thing is, is that when you're using a CMS and where you're using all of your ESPs and pushing all your content out there to try to do personalization, to do segmentation, all of your assets needs to be able to be streamlined from a single source so that you don't have replication of assets everywhere. And I'm sure you've seen this before to where, you know, you have rogue um, divisions within a company who are all managing their own assets and you have like triplicate, you know, storage space on assets everywhere in the company and everybody has their own different versions. Even in marketing, like creative has to make like 50 different versions of the same, you know, the same, you know, image just because somebody wants, uh, you know, something new to do with it, right? Yeah, it's, it's extremely important for a company to have a content repository. Uh, in many cases, it could be like a CMS platform or it could yep. be a content management platform, what have you. Irrespective of the technology you're using, the key is to have a centralized location where the team can access and manage the content and if you take it a level further, you may want to have some type of a deduplication. So multiple entities, especially for large yeah. organizations where you have to spread out the globe, you want to have the ability to have a, a sanitized version of the document that you're using versus 
multiple versions and duplicate copies. And then when you get into that, start asking questions about taxonomy and governance, right? Within the governance of those assets, it's like, okay, who has asked, who has access to which assets? Or does, uh, you know, there's certain groups that have access to all assets, right? If you're using a third party agency that's coming in and managing your stuff, only give them folder access in certain things. And then taxonomy, taxonomy is this idea that the naming convention, I mean, this is makes you want to pull your hair out, right? It's like, uh, you know how like you have 10 different groups of people and they're all naming, you know, content 10 different ways. Some people are putting the date. So many people are putting like a name. Some people are putting like all lowercase. Some people are using those like dashes in between or those underscores. I mean, it's frustrating. It's like a huge pet peeve of mine to be able to see that, you know, all of your all of your content is not, you know, I guess it's an OCD problem that I have, but it's all, all of your content is not organized in a way that it's easy to find, especially using any kind of search functions. So yeah, big, big, big deal. Okay. So we have what acquisition, personalization, segmentation, conversion, retention. Then the next three is content assets. And the third one is data, right? Data is a big one. This is kind of like, you know, the biggest forte, I'm sure, Samir, with, with, has been with your career is like, what data are you using to make decisions? Like, where are you managing your data? Where does your data live? Is it even timely data? I mean, I, I guess for me, I think the audience would it'd be great for them to hear about, you know, for you, it's like, how are you going in and trying to discover what's going on with the data and you're finding out that data is stored in like 50 different places? How do you how do you manage that or how, how do you dig into that? That's a pretty common problem most organizations have is uh, they collect they go into the rapid fire mode and they collect a lot of data and eventually come to find out that data resides in multiple systems. Uh, as the organization gets bigger, the problem accelerates and it becomes out of hand. Uh, so it's better when if you when you're working on depending on the size of the organization. If it's a smaller organization, it's a perfect opportunity to lay the foundation for your data framework and data strategy early on to the cycle, and then build those connections and connectors where the data will be stored. So then when you get to become a larger corporation, you have uh, you have better control on the data uh, because you have standardizations and policies in place to help you with that. Exactly. That will be my, my take. But if you're a larger organization, you already have complexities and challenges dealing with data then it's a it's time to step back and start to see where your data is organized uh, between all the different uh, parts and components, and then go from there to build the data roadmap. Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. So with that, like I said, you're already digging in. This is already possibly like almost three hours worth of conversation you can have with a client, right? So you've already dug into acquisition, personalization, segmentation, conversion, retention. And then you started getting to content assets and data. The three last things that we have in here to close is asking about their goals, right? You've asked all these different things, but you don't know what order or what's important or what's a priority to your, to your customer, right? So the first thing you want to do is think about it like this, foundation, growth, and maturity, right? So the first one is foundational goals. What can you solve in the next two quarters, right? Or the next three to six months? 
What is most important to you? Get them to give you tangible goals, things that they want to be measured on for success. Because as you know, as a marketer and even as a consultant, you want to be able to give them things that you can turn around and measure and be like, yeah, I helped you do this, right? So you got, and then the growth is what, what are you trying to solve for in the next 12 months? And then maturity, what can I help you solve for in the next two to three years? Like, what is your big picture plan? And, and, and I guess for you, it's like, you know, how, I guess here's another question. Sir. How does it work when you, you know, you and I always joke about, it's like, if you go in and a marketer tells you like, here's my plan for the next three years and they never change it. I mean, you know, you, we sometimes kind of laugh at that. You're like, there's no way that you can predict everything that's going to happen in the next two to three years, right? You got to be agile and you got to be willing to move. But how do you go in and how do you discover these goals? Like, well, what are some of the things that you might be asking them to figure out what's important to them, you know, based on the next two quarters or the next 12 months or the next two to three years? Like, what, what should be important for discovery for that? The, the important aspect is what you need to identify is two to three really powerful uh, business-moving ideas, right? Okay. You don't want to yeah. go into a discovery session to kind of boil the ocean. Even <laughs> though the length of the discovery session, right, because even though the length of the discovery session may be longer, you're spending a lot more time understanding the business. If you are able to help the business uncover two to three powerful uh ideas and that could be either process change or technology implementation or a service addition or you know overhaul their business like a business optimization what have you the idea is to come up with two to three powerful things that you can give back to the business and say this is what we uncovered and these are the three things that we can implement that will result in either revenue growth, customer retention, or the top key areas that the business is focused on. So you need to discover those areas and tie to the business objectives that the business is trying to solve for. Because then you have this exhausted, terrible laundry list of a thousand things that you're trying to accomplish. And they're one, either not relevant to what you're trying to solve for, or two, things that are out of your hand and there's nothing you can do to help out, right? So you're saying boil it down. Um, to like, yeah, I guess three things is three is a good number, right? Boil it down to like three right. things you think are most important. Yeah. So, okay. So let, let's summarize here. This is a lot of information we went through. Um, like I said, for, first we talked about with this whole podcast, it, even the first episode was right. The, the triple D right. Discovery deep dive. We asked you, it's like, why are you there? Why are you there to go in and do the deep dive? The next is the what? What are you trying to solve for? Like ask them, ideally, like what would your, what would it look like? What are you doing today? You know, what would it be like to, to be successful tomorrow? Who are you talking to? Who should be in the room? When, how important is it to do this? How often should you do this? And then today we talked about the various elements of the discovery. The first part of that is acquisition, personalization, segmentation, conversion, retention. Then we went to the next three parts, which are content, assets, and data. And then finally, your, your goals, right? Your digital foundation goals, your digital growth goals, and your digital maturity goals. This is a ton of information packed in 
they, they packed into this one um, one episode. Well, I, I guess I, I guess with that, is there anything else you would add there besides that for this discovery? No, I think that's pretty. Uh, that's a lot of details uh, for our listeners to absorb and. I believe that what we have provided here is a very solid framework to do a proper digital deep dive and due diligence analysis. Uh, it works really well if we're going into an organization as an employee mm-hmm. and you're trying to uncover new areas and opportunities, or you're going as a consultant or a practitioner to provide them better and improved services. Yeah, and make it your own. I mean, you don't have to use these exact uh, elements that, that we presented today, you take your own, figure out what works for the industry that you're going after, you know, right. um, hell you could even culture is another one. Uh, you know, when we're talking about acquisition, personalization, segmentation, maybe culture is another question. Ask them about the company culture. Maybe that's something important. Maybe, uh, another one could be customers. Ask them about their customer sets. Who are who are your hero customers? Who are your terrible customers? Who do you wish you didn't have as a customer? Who would you really like to have as a customer? Right? Make it your own. Yep. Go in there, be comfortable. And some things I like to do is like when you're in person, bring snacks. Bring bring some, you know, sodas and water and stuff and get people to relax. And and, and because I, I don't know about you, but for me, it takes people like 10 minutes or so to really warm up and to really start talking to you. Because before that, everybody's like, you know they're all, they're all formal, <laughs> and they they don't really want to give you information. It's kind of strange, but um, you know I I believe it's important to just go in there and, and set the mood, set the tone. Cool. So uh, th- this is a lot of stuff. I guess you got anything else to add before we uh, before we close up here? Uh, not that I can think of. Cool. All right. So. This has been another great one. Just to let you know for the Analytics Today podcast, keep the requests coming in. We just got in another request uh, to have um, somebody uh, um, come on to the show as a guest. Uh, This one's going to be a really cool one. I'm not going to give you any sneaks about the topic yet, but it's going to definitely be very cool. Um, This is going to be one to where, you know, um, we're going to be able to deep dive into some of our um, excited topics that we like to talk about. So like I said, keep talking, uh, keep communicating with us. If you've got any ideas about who we should interview or any topics that we have, um, check us out um, on analytictodaypodcast.com. And then if you can, please give us a review. And uh, that's all we got for today. Happy COVID days. Okay, very good. Thank you. Cool, man. Thank you, guys. And we'll see you on the air. Have a good one.